Would you please open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 7? Gradually getting closer and closer to that climactic point in Mark where Jesus asks, Whom do men say that I am? But we're not quite there yet. Mark chapter 7, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13 this morning. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your inspired and errant authoritative and sufficient word. Take it and use it by your Holy Spirit to transform our lives in a way that we could never hope to do on our own. Indeed, we are hopeless apart from the divine grace of your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This past Wednesday, our oldest daughter graduated from our local community college here in Salem County. And because they haven't yet resumed large indoor gatherings her college had a they had a drive-through commencement but i wanted to make sure that abby was at least able to drive through in a clean car so on wednesday i took our minivan to the car wash and i cleaned it up i, I even shined the tires armor roll it looked good that was until you opened the door and you see that the carpet hasn't been vacuumed in a while. Or that there's crayons and hair bows and Nerf darts all over the floor. 
handprints all over the windows. My wife even saw where one of the kids had taken a crayon and written something on the inside of the window. It would have taken me a few hours to clean that up, the inside. So instead of me going out there and doing what I knew needed to be done, I just sent the kids to pick up the straws, to pick up the cups or the other trash on the floorboard, and we just called it done. But it looked good from the outside, and that's all that anybody in the drive through line was going to see. And you know, that's the approach that we often take with our lives, isn't it? We make sure the outside is all clean because that's what everyone sees. No one would ever see our car at the local bar or at the nightclub. We don't smoke, drink, chew, or run with those who do. That's how we are, isn't it? So very concerned with making sure that the outside is clean. But the inside is sadly often a very different story. And that's what we see here in our passage this morning with the Pharisees and the scribes who looked and acted holy on the outside and they imposed their man-made traditions that masqueraded as holiness on everyone else. You see, like the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day, we too are so prone to create our own standards of holiness and then self-righteously impose them on others. But here's the mistake that the Pharisees made, and it's the same mistake that we make today in thinking that external holiness is an indicator of internal righteousness. It is not. External holiness is not an indicator of internal righteousness. If you don't remember anything, remember that. There is such a thing as false holiness. And today in this passage, Jesus exposes the false holiness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So I want us to work through these verses together by way of three, you know, very practical principles, I think, that will help expose our own tendency to false holiness and will drive us to Christ. And the first is that we need to beware the critical eye. We need to beware the critical eye. Word was spreading about this unusual and unique rabbi named Jesus who could heal the sick. He could, he could feed thousands of people out of nothing. He could even walk on the water. He had power over demons. His teaching was unlike anything the people had ever heard. And it was different than the pious but oppressive teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. So the friction between Jesus and the religious people religious leaders was really starting to ramp up here at this point in his ministry. And now the top dogs, so to speak, from Jerusalem 
had come to Galilee to investigate and examine what Jesus was doing down there in this countryside. Look at verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So instead of seeing the unique identity of Jesus as the promised Messiah, as the Son of God, instead of seeing the lives that were being transformed by His person and His work, these religious leaders took issue with the fact that His disciples were eating without clean hands. They didn't wash their hands. But this wasn't about good hygiene, friends. This was about the breach of ritual. You see, Mark gives us a little context to explain what he's talking about in verse number 3. He says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, what? Properly. Holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They would have been defiled. And there are many other traditions, Mark says, that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. They got all these rules and regulations, all these protocols, all these rituals. The phrase, the tradition of the elders, is important. Please circle it in your Bibles. It refers to a a body of man-made religious customs. It is not Scripture. Not even close. There's a body of man-made religious customs and practices that are found nowhere in the Old Testament law. But they are handed down through tradition. In fact, that's what the word tradition means. Handed down. And it is in the tradition of elders where this ritual practice of hand washing came from. Not from God's word. And if you count, you'll find the word tradition six times in this passage. So Mark is leaving no question that Jesus is taking aim squarely at the fallen human proclivity to create man-made traditions and then impose them on others as a means of righteousness. Hence the question in verse 5 from the Pharisees and the scribes, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why do they eat with defiled hands? You see, the critical eye of the Pharisees noticed all the wrong things. And that's how we are still today, friends. Critical people are bothered by the little stuff. Because we all have that inner Pharisee with the critical eye, noticing the small stuff, always keeping score of every little transgression. They can remember the sins of others. So concerned with rules 
so concerned with protocols that often we are willing to lose people underneath the gaze of our critical eye. Friends, the critical eye turns our kids into ex-converts. I didn't say ex-convicts. I said ex-converts. Far worse, by the way. You see, we raise our children in churches and in homes that are steeped in oppressive man-made traditions. And as long as they follow the rules, everything is okay. As long as they look good on the outside, everything is good. All the while, we pay very little attention to the sin and the unbelief that is growing in their hearts. And then in a few years, we find them on the internet posting their own story of deconversion. Hashtag exvangelical. If you know, you know. Their story of deconversion from fundamentalist religion. I've seen it happen hundreds of times, friends. Young people, if you're here this morning and if you feel like Christianity is all about the rules, then you have never encountered the true Christ. You have never experienced true Christianity. God help us this morning, church. Young people, come to Jesus Christ and find grace and find freedom where righteousness is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by rules and regulations. The critical eye runs people out of churches. The critical eye turns people away from Christ altogether. Now, I'm not making excuses for anyone's unbelief. They are responsible, but friends, we need to stop acting like the hypercritical tendencies of many in the church haven't played a part. Beware. Park Bible Baptist Church of the critical eye. Secondly, we need to not only beware of the critical eye, but we need to beware of the hypocritical heart. The hypocritical heart. Look at verse number six. Jesus or he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus here, he burns... <laughs> these religious leaders with truth. He burns them with it. He says, you guys are hypocrites. And friends, the essence of hypocrisy, get this. Now, we've got to be careful here. Is that, the, the essence of hypocrisy is not only living one way in public and a different way in private. That's... That's not even primarily what hypocrisy is, though that's how we usually understand it. 
Hypocrisy is doing all the externals, doing all the right things from a heart that is far from God. That is hypocrisy. It's when the life is clean, but the heart is cold. The heart is dirty. The original word in the Greek means to be a pretender. It was actually used to describe actors in the Greek theater who would wear masks. The prophet Isaiah said this very burning truth about God's people 700 years earlier, but also prophetically about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. In fact, Isaiah speaks to those in every generation who profess to love God with their lips, but from hearts that are cold and dead toward him. But they look good on the outside. They live by their own man-made rules and traditions that, that make them feel righteous. This is what a good Christian looks like. I'm going to live this way, therefore I'm okay. Lord, have mercy, friends. Isaiah is talking about us. The hypocritical heart deceives us into thinking that we are righteous when we're actually just self-righteous. Friends, right now, the only people we need to be thinking about is ourselves. Not the person two pews behind you. Or the other family member, or the other church member, or the other friend, or the other neighbor. Ourselves. This is when we put ourselves under the inspection of God's word this morning. It may hurt. Consider what hypocrisy does to our lives. Number one, hypocrisy affects our relationship with God. You see, friends, we're hypocrites when we're at church every time the door is open, but we never meet with God any other time. We never read His Word. We never commune with Him in prayer. We never meditate on His glory. But we're here every Sunday. Wednesday, Sunday night, everything else. That's hypocrisy. We're hypocrites when we're outwardly zealous for truth, but we're inwardly dull and cold. Oh, we'll get on the internet and argue with somebody about conservatism or about Christianity or about truth, but our hearts are cold to the Lord. It affects our relationship with God. Number two, it Hypocrisy affects our relationship with others. We are hypocrites, friends, when we judge others for their external sin, the things that we can see. Maybe we did see their car at the nightclub. Maybe we did see them in a place they shouldn't have been. Or maybe their sin has become public. And then we judge them all the while secretly harboring lust, jealousy, Or unforgiveness. 
you name it, in our own hearts. That is hypocrisy. We're hypocrites when we bring our children to church, but we never talk to them about the things of God at home. Hypocrisy, number three, it affects our worship. Hypocrisy, dear friends, is singing praise to God with lips that will not speak to a person on the other side of the church. Hypocrisy is hearing the faithful preaching of God's word with hearts that have no intention of obeying it. Listen to this scathing indictment of unfaithful Israel from Ezekiel chapter number 33. This is Ezekiel 33, 30 and following. The prophet, well, this is the Lord speaking to the prophet, through the prophet. He says, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, they say to one another, each to his brother, Come, let's hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Hey, let's go to church. The Lord says in verse 31, And they come to you as my people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say. but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart, you see where the prophet is getting at here, where he's going? Their heart, that's where Jesus is going right here in Mark 7. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Friends, I didn't write that. They hear what you say, but they will not do it. Is that you this morning? Is that me sitting under this message? I've told you many times before I preach to myself before I even begin to ponder preaching to any of you. Are we willing to hear the word to say, come, let us go. Let us listen to see what the Lord has to say. Are we willing to hear the word but unwilling to be transformed by it? We have hearts that are far from God. Our lips are here, but our hearts are somewhere else. Are we engaging Christ in true worship, or are we just here for the show? Are we just checking off that box? Friends, please hear this this morning. Hell, hell, (laughs) eternal fire. The lake of fire will be filled with people who sat in church every Sunday from cradle to coffin because their hearts were far from God. Including preachers. This is the essence of hypocrisy. God help us this morning. 
Friends, beware the hypocritical heart. Lastly, we need to beware the twisted scripture. Beware the twisted scripture. Look at verse number 9. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things that you do. In other words, Jesus is saying, I could go on. You guys are, you do this all the time. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees and the scribes there in Galilee. You see, the Jews rightly believed, they rightly believed that children should provide for their aging parents in obedience to the commandment to honor them. But there was also this tradition where a person could designate their wealth or their property, sort of like they, they earmark it, they set it aside for the use of, of God for the service of God, for the worship of God. And that's what the word Corban means. It means consecrated to God. It is the, it is the consecration of certain things for God, only for God. And so what Jesus is describing here is this shameful, really, practice where adult children who should be taking care of, using their resources to take care of their aging parents, they would withhold support from their parents by claiming that their wealth was Corban. It can't be touched because it's dedicated to God. It's like saying, Mom, I would really love to help you out, but I promised everything I have to the church, so I'm, I'm sorry. It was essentially, friends, a loophole, <laughs> a twisting of Scripture, and Jesus says to the Pharisees, you guys really know how to manipulate the system. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. They were distorting, they were twisting God's Word. How? By mingling it, by actually voiding it with their own man-made tradition. And like the Pharisees, friends, we are masters of that too. My goodness, friends. Scripture twisting is as blatant in the church today as it has ever been. Consider this. We have the, the TV prosperity preachers saying that the Bible teaches that Christians should be rich, healthy, never suffer, we have the so-called pro-choice Christians using, be careful, the latest edition of the New International Version of the Bible to claim that God actually condones abortion. 
We have the pro-LGBT movement in the church claiming that the Bible never actually forbids or condemns homosexual relationships. It just condemns homosexual promiscuity and pederasty. Sex with young boys, male sex with young boys. That's all the Bible really condemns. It's not. We're coming up on Pride Month, aren't we? Of course, friends, let's not forget that all this scripture twisting we're seeing ultimately starts in Genesis when somehow six ordinary days become millions of years. And it doesn't really matter what you believe about creation, just trust in Jesus. That's what we're told. It's a slippery slope. And all this scripture twisting, this voiding of the word of God for the fallible tradition and wisdom of men is coming from within the church. It was the Pharisees who were doing this. They were the conservative party of their day, friends. From those who, in our day, profess Christ for those who manipulate God's Word to our advantage, just like they did. From those who profess holiness, but friends, it is a false holiness exposed by Jesus right here in this text who knows the deep and secret inner workings of our fallen sinful hearts far better than we do. And the only remedy for our false holiness is the cleansing blood of Christ. We can try to be more zealous. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do. We we, we become more zealous. We, we, we want to somehow counter the hypocrisy in our lives by becoming more active for truth, more zealous for truth, but it will not change our hearts. In fact, it will just worsen our self-deception. John Calvin says this, Hypocrites shroud themselves in zeal. It is a marvelous visor to cover all manner of wickedness. Zeal. Friends, remember that the next time the latest celebrity pastor or the celebrity apologist or the Christian leader or the average pew setter like you and me are exposed in our sin. Hypocrites, Calvin says, shroud themselves in zeal. Friends, we need to cry out to God this morning in honest confession, in genuine repentance like David did in Psalm 51 when he said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This was after he had committed his sin with Bathsheba and lived for nine months, pretty much, in hypocrisy. He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
That's David. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed that they were made righteous by their meticulous keeping of the law. And they added all these other traditions, these man-made rules, these protocols, these rituals. But they missed the point of the law altogether to show their inability to earn righteousness by keeping it. You see, the law is good. It is holy, Paul said, but the law condemns us, friends. The very thing that we think that if we keep, if we just be good enough, if we do our best, we'll be saved. That is the very thing that condemns us. And our tradition-following, rule-keeping hearts only deceive us even more. Our only hope is Christ, not the law. If you stand before Jesus Christ, if you stand before the throne of God on that final judgment day and say, I did my best, you are hopeless, friend. Your best is not even close. We need Christ. He alone kept the law perfectly the way God requires it. His life earned the righteousness that we need to stand before a holy God blameless. Have you ever been blameless in your life? No. And neither have I. We have never known what it's like to live a fraction of a second on on this planet as blameless humans. Not when we came out of the womb and drew our first breath. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We're sinners from birth, from conception, David said. We don't know what it's like to be blameless, but He is. His death forever paid the penalty of our sin. His resurrection assures us of the victory of His finished, accomplished work. And now we must abandon our sin, but not only our sin, friends. We must abandon our self-righteousness and trust in Him alone. It is only in seeing ourselves as sinners in constant need of Christ. That is the only way that we can find deliverance from our false holiness. And make no mistake, every one of us in here has it. We all have it. We have the critical eye. We have the hypocritical heart. We have our scripture-twisting ways. Do you see yourself that way, friends? Or are you the tradition-keeping Pharisee? The Lord has rebuked me this morning. He has rebuked all of us this morning. Let's pray.